the game is over, but we're just getting started. You're listening to The Fifth Quarter, presented by Twitch on the Raiders Podcast Network. And life is good as your Las Vegas Raiders move to 5-2. and two. Eddie Pascal joined by my pal Jason Fitz here in the fifth quarter. And Fitz, the Raiders won 33-22 today in a game that, stop me if you heard this before, like the, literally the last time we spoke, it didn't really feel that close, did it? Yeah, it's rare to have that moment where you can put your, third, your, like your feet up in the third quarter and just start scrolling on the phone. I found myself in the fourth quarter of this game actually just looking through Twitter, seeing what's going on, realizing that I was so comfortable with the outcome that I had actually started to look into what's going on in other games. I don't remember the last time I felt that way in back-to-back weeks, right? Like, it's such a, we're used to a pressure cooker. And you tweeted out early on, are we in for another strange one today? And I'm like, oh, my God, my gut can't handle it. To think that we went from that early to, by the time we started the second quarter, a clearly dominant performance by the Vegas Raiders today. And, and I said last week, this would be a big one. Easy game to overlook. Could they keep that focus? We got an answer to that. And, you know, the, the Raiders inside that locker room got to feel pretty darn good right now. Yeah, I mean, 100%. You look at this game, and on paper, this is one where you're like, okay, the buy is coming up. It's a chance to reset, to relax, to get out of Dodge for a few days. And it's an easy game to overlook. That Look, the Eagles are not a great football team, but the Raiders did quite the opposite of that. They kept their foot on the gas. We're going to talk about that later. But for me... This game had a little something for everyone. If you like offense, we got you there. If you like defense, we got you there. I mean, but really for me, when you look at this game, it has to start with Derek Carr. And I'm looking at Derek Carr's line right now, Fitz. Just absurd. Just absolute mastery from D.C. today. He goes 31 of 34. Yes, 31 of 34 for 323 yards, two touchdowns, and then the interception that started things off. But I, w- I was thinking about this, and I've been very honest, Fitz. I'm not a numbers guy. Math has been a struggle for me since I was a young kid. But 91% completion percentage <laughs> in an NFL game. And it's not like he threw the ball seven or eight times. He went 31 of 34. Like, this dude was just on one today. Doesn't it speak, though, to what we talked about last week? You could see a palpable difference in which was control. Like, uh, coming up to the line of scrimmage, it felt like, Carr had a a sense of what he was trying to accomplish. And I think they made a smart point on the broadcast, you know, going back and looking at uh, the games that we've seen, you know, pre-Gruden leaving and to where we are now. What you've seen is a drastic difference in the offense and the way it's being called. There's a simplification that's happened. The the groupings, the players, the personnel on the field, all of it seems a little bit more simple. And that sometimes is a great thing. We've been talking about that on the defensive side of the ball all year. At some point, Gus Bradley gets sort of the tip of the hat for simplifying things and letting guys go out and putting his best players on the field. That's what so far two weeks in Olsen has decided to do with this offense and Carr is thriving in it. I mean, he comes up to the line and just knows like one of his incompletions near the end of the game was just him being swaggy. He came to the line and was like, ah, let's just see what happens. Like, And they were in a position where they could get away with that. It speaks to absolute control of the offense, absolute understanding the situation. Like that's a different version. We are seeing right now a masterful Derek Carr and whether that's because the offense is simplified or whether that's because he's found some new stage in his career, either way, this is MVP caliber football. Can we take a 30-second timeout before we continue on the journey of just fantasticness that was today and just talk about one moment, Fitz, that was literally the epitome of just swaggy from Derek and Ole. So on that first drive of the game, the holding call that for some unforeseen reason, the Eagles are like, no, 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 let's keep a, like a top five offense 
out on the field instead of forcing them to punt. And so we go from it what should have been fourth and three to what was it third you know third and twelve or whatever it was. And Ole just says, "Let her rip, let's go." And there goes to Zay Jones for forty plus yards in the literal like we got nothing to lose. Come get us. We're bigger and better than you. And obviously it didn't it didn't result in any points. But what a just what a fantastic moment we talk about that swagginess and like hey let's do it let's get funky. And that to me fits. And I know it didn't result in points, but that to me was such a good moment of like hey. We're different now. We're going to go for it. We're going to push the pressure. We are going to keep, we're going to be the aggressors all day. And it was, dude, it was so much fun to see. It really was. Well, a couple of things there. Number one, that's winning the chess match. And to me, Mm -hmm. what is the most fun in watching a football game, it, it always has been, is the chess match between coordinators. So the plays that are called versus what they think are going to be called. And right there, obviously, Philly did not have any expectation that that was going to happen. And what's interesting, and I know we've got a lot of praise to give out today, but if you want to talk about real consequence, think about this. We had no Darren Waller today. We had no Josh Jacobs for half of the game. The Eagles were afraid to blitz against an offensive line that has had, I, I hesitate to say bad. I was going to say bad, and I'll be the first to admit. Improving. Tough on this offense. It is improving. But that's the weakness of this offense. And Philly knew if they sent the house at any point, they were going to be exposed to one-on-one matchups. Without Waller in the game, they knew they still couldn't win those one-on-one matchups. I, I was watching the chess match of play calling, realizing the impact that Ruggs, Edwards, and Renfro are having every single game because they are not comfortable putting their guys out there one-on-one. They've got to bracket guys. That that changes everything. That, that The Raiders took advantage of it. Yeah, and look, a big shout-out to Foster Moreau, too. We talked about Darren, who thankfully it sounds like will be back sooner than later, per Foster Moreau. So shout-out to Foster for being Adam Schefter on the on the ones and twos. They're saying, hey, minor injury, <laughs> don't, don't worry. Darren will be back sooner than later. But, I mean, big shout-out to Foster, too, stepping in in a moment when he had to come up and, and shine. And we've heard so you know so often throughout the offseason, throughout the regular season, that, hey, Foster would start on so many other teams and Foster can do this, that, and the other. But in a moment, Fitz, where he had to do it, when Foster had to rise up and essentially be that guy, I mean, he delivered in a, in a big way. Six catches, 60 yards with a touchdown. Caught every single pass he was targeted on today. And that touchdown, frankly, Fitz, was rude and disrespectful, and I hope that Foster is going to send some sort of uh, some sort of gift, perhaps a, a fruit basket or something to Mr. Epps' family, because my God, that was uncalled for. When you see Foster walking around the facility, just uh, give him a you know slap on the tush and say thanks for me, because I was the one guy this afternoon when I saw the, the final news that Waller was out in four fantasy football leagues. I went out and acquired Foster Moreau in four fantasy football leagues and put him in out of sheer necessity, because nobody else was available that late that I could shift into my lineup that was on waiver wires in all four of my leagues. Let me tell you, I had some games I was supposed to lose big, big, big this weekend that I have now won because of Foster Moreau. So the the trash talking is real on a player that I think the fans have loved for a long yeah. time. But, you know, this is a guy that, that doesn't get a lot of opportunities. And when you don't get a lot of opportunities, man, you got to make the most of them. And, and the scariest thing about this offense, and I, I think – Really, the thing we haven't seen in this offense since, you know, you were just a mere thought in your parents' mind, mm. like the Rich Gannon, Tim Brown, uh, you know, Jerry Rice, Tyrone Wheatley, Charlie Garner offense that I reference a lot. I think I reference it so much because it was the best offense I saw as a Raiders fan growing up. And not only that, but it was an offense that every single week you knew you were going to get beat. You just didn't know how. And that's what this offense is capable of doing. I mean, you just don't – Vilma on the broadcast, Jonathan Vilma, referenced it a couple of times. Like, you don't know what to stop when you're facing the Raiders. That's just 
powerful because Carr has this control and because he doesn't care about who he feeds. He cares about getting the, the yards. I mean, it is it is working in such a dynamic way. Moreau gets that sort of a game. Now, if we need him later in the season, the coaches all the more comfortable. Carr are all the more comfortable putting him in saying, hey, we got to rely on this guy. Can I can I take us on a quick aside, Fitz, before we carry on? Please. So you talked about putting Foster in your fantasy lineup. I, I'm not a fantasy guy, right? I've tried it before. It's just not for me. And I, I enjoy getting overly invested in other people's you know, decisions and, and tinkering and roster management type things. But it, it's just not for me. So Walks, you know Walks, our, our social czar who sits next to me in the press box, and we've had many a lovely conversation. Walks was in the exact same situation as you, where he has Waller on his fantasy team. He sees Waller's down. What do we do? So he does the exact same thing that you do, and he goes, he picks up Foster, he puts Foster in the starting lineup. Now, the point of this story is that I told him, I had a, I had a feeling, I said, pick up Matt Bushman, put Bushman in. And he goes, dude, I love you, but I'm, I'm not doing that. I said, come on, man, what do you got to lose? What do you got to lose? Because he was pulling up the numbers, and he's like, Foster was like projected to have zero points, and Matt Bushman was also projected to have zero points. I said, Wax, you're going to look like a genius, bro. If you put the Bushman in and we get like two tutties, you're going to be like, you're going to be so appreciative that you listen to me. And it's a good thing that he didn't because Mr. Bushman did not, not register a catch and Foster yeah, certainly I, did. And I usually have a hard and fast rule of not drafting Raiders players. This mm. year was the one exception. Well, I think Waller, Waller. Waller's easy money, baby. Come yeah, on. Mike. Waller was like, yeah, I'm taking Waller in all my leagues. And, and now, you know, I, I feel a little smart today. I mean, no offense, Foster. I'm gonna drop you off my roster as soon as Waller's healthy again. But it, you know, it's fantasy football. That, that, that's that's what we have to do. But I, I I keep going back to what we saw today and thinking about like you and I have played this sort of scenario out a few times. But where I say to you, if I told you, you know, and I said it last week, if I told you all of these things would happen and there'd be a head coaching change and that the team would be four and two. Well, if I told you coming into this sort of a game. With no Waller at the last second, something none of us anticipated in the type of game that the Raiders have found a way to lose the last several years. And in a game where Josh Jacobs goes out at the half and was still a close game at that point for Kenyon Drake to come in and play the way he played for the line to hold up the way it held up for the points to come the way they came. It just shows a different level of resilience from this year's Raiders team. I mean, let's talk about Kenyon Drake real quick, and, and you're 100% accurate in everything that you said. And if you had kind of listed out that list of variables that was going to happen, I don't know in my heart of hearts of it if I could have said, yeah, this is a Raiders dub for sure, because there was a lot. Look, I'll put it this way. Two weeks feels like a long time ago, doesn't it? Everything oh, that God, happened yeah. two weeks, it feels like a really, really long time ago. But sticking with Kenyon Drake, man, three touchdowns in the past two weeks. And the resurrection, the rebirth, the Matrix Reloaded, whatever you want to call it, of Kenyon Drake has been so much fun to watch. And there were so many times during this game where I looked over to Walks, who sits to my left, and I go, so this is the Kenyon Drake that we thought we were getting. And man, what a dynamic game changer. What a guy, when you pair him with Josh Jacobs, ooh, boy, that is a fun, fun, fun one-two punch. And you bring up the fact Josh not able to finish the game. And you have a guy like Kenyon Drake. And don't sleep on my guy Jalen Richard either, friend of the program, the Rocket. I mean, the fact that this running back stable now has capable, and they went over, the Raiders went over 100 yards on the ground for the first time since week three today, Fitz. The fact that they are starting to get that portion of this game going, paired with Derek Carr playing out of his bleeping mind, ooh, this is going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. And Kenyon Drake, so smooth to watch. Oh, and my this God. This is the moment, like, like, also, when you think about Drake and Richard and Josh, all, all three out of the backfield, had five, six-yard, you know, catches that they turned into 10, 11, 12 yards, that they turned into diving efforts for first downs. And it's funny how the check down 
conversation that we've had about offenses so many times in the past. Doesn't matter who your quarterback is, every fan base has it. The checkdown conversation is one that angers everybody until you're checking down to really amazing playmakers. And then all of a sudden, throwing a five-yard pass on a third and eight isn't as frustrating because you trust Renfro to get the extra three yards. We saw today, Kenyon Drake catch a couple of those and then just be able to glide his way past everybody. I mean, he runs so effortlessly that you look at it and say, it opens up the entirety of the field because wherever he gets the ball, going to get a couple extra yards out of it. It lets the offense be safe while still being aggressive all at the same time, which is an incredible luxury. So th- this might sound crazy to some people, right? I use you as a, my kind of resident, I don't want to say Raiders historian, because you're not that old, Fitz, but you certainly have seen a lot I more Raiders football than I have. Sure. Oh, you look great, Fitz. You look fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. I know that Thank you're on a health kick right now, and let me just tell you, it's paying off, buddy. You look Thank you. great. Thank you very you much. You look really, no, I, really I nice. I appreciate that. You look great. Half my age. Okay, go ahead. Yes. Half your age, wait, half wait. your age. So my question to you is this. I, I've been thinking a lot about leading into this game, I've been thinking a lot about who Kenyon Drake, how because I think it's fair to say he has such a unique running style where, like you said, he really glides. Like he's a dude who it doesn't really look like he's running. He kind of just looks like he's on skates doing his thing. And the only player, and as crazy as this sounds, the only player that has really come to mind as kind of a comparable guy that did it the same way, and I'm not saying that he is this player, but it's it feels a little Marcus Allen-esque, does it not? No, yeah, I, I, would, I would buy that. I'd take that all day. What do you um, got for me, though? I no, I, I think you're right, Like because I have, I have with this offense used Charlie Garner and Tyrone Wheatley as a combination, but I, I don't think, like, be, I think it's partially because Wheatley was such a big guy and Jacobs runs like a big guy, and then Garner was such a capable pass-catching back that that's what I thought Kenyon Drake was going to be. I like your Marcus Allen comp a lot. Like, I think, and again, friend of the show, Jalen Richard, I'm a big Jalen Richard fan. In fact, I am, uh, I have many times had my conversations with the Madden people about why their algorithm sometimes says Richard and sometimes says Richard with the reception. Like, get it right. Like, guy's been in the league a long time. Yeah. Get his name right. So I'm a big Jalen Richard guy. I, I think Kenyon Drake is the prettier, more polished, you know, just more naturally gifted in that sense version uh, as a route catcher, as a runner of Richard. Like, if you took Richard and you you just you, you gave him a few extra bonus points on Madden, in all of those categories, that's what it is to me. It's very, it's very silky. And that's yes. the thing that like yes. we see a lot right now from like quarterbacks. Like I, I would argue that watching, you know, Murray run or watching Lamar run, like so one of the things that's really great about him is how difficult it is to just get a square on hit on him, how silky they are. That's the best word I can use to describe Kenyon Drake. And I we're just seeing and and I will give the broadcast again credit. And and I think one thing that's cool about our show today is that you were obviously at the game. I was obviously watching the game. So we got two slightly different experiences. But I want to give a shout out to Lindsay Zarniak, uh, who mentioned talking to Kenyon Drake this week about the difficulty of be- assimilating to Las Vegas, like living in a casino while he's trying to figure out where his house is going to be and just trying to figure out life like we rarely give athletes the human nature quality of like, okay, what was it like moving to this city? He was pretty frank with the broadcast team that that took him a second. I think we're seeing that. Like, because when you are that sort of silky smooth, like natural athlete, being comfortable doing what you're being asked to do is a huge part of what's going to make you as graceful as you can be. So I think part of why we're seeing this resurgence from Kenyon Drake is that he just seems to be life comfortable. And that plays out on the field, just the same way we've seen Max take a big step because he's more life comfortable right now. Like uh, Darren Waller, we've seen become more life comfortable. Like these are the things that happen for guys. No, that's an incredibly valid point. We heard the same thing from Henry Ruggs over the off season too, where Henry Ruggs, you know, we hear, 
you know, we think of Henry as a college kid and he's in Tuscaloosa and all of a sudden he's dropped down in Las Vegas to very, very different worlds. And he said, hey, it took me a minute to kind of figure out where am I going to live? We've talked about this a bunch. Where am I going to go shopping? Where am I going to get my dry cleaning done? Like, how can I, you know, I got to set my cable up, all this kind of stuff. So it definitely, uh, you know, it's definitely a valid point that we bring up. But I had this thought too, since you're a resident music man as well. We were talking about the silkiness of Kenyon Drake, right? It's all very, you know, it's, it's a very sensual running style. To me, and I had this thought as you were talking, it's, you know when John Mayer's just like completely in his bag and he's just soloing for like nine minutes and he's crunching the face mm-hmm. up and you're like, oh man, like this is something different. Like that's Kenyon Drake running. Like to me, when I think of it, like those are the two, like just, oh, just natural. You know what I mean? I'll give you uh, for the older crowd, Santana. Like, Oh, yep. I can see that too. Like Santana doesn't always have to play a million notes. It's just sort of there and it feels right when he plays and you just say, all right, that's like Kenyon Drake doesn't waste a lot of steps. He's not bowling people over. He's not flashy in that way. It's just, he's flashy in the fact that like you just sit there and your mouth drops and you say, man, that just felt, that felt good. That yeah. felt right. <laughs> it, know, did, it, dude, it did feel good. It did feel right. And speaking of things that felt good and right again, Fitz for the seventh week in a row, this Raiders defense, brother. I mean, Gus Bradley, I do it every week. I tweet out hashtag brewskis for Bradley. And this man is just, look, he's doing it week after week after week. Can we start here with this defensive line, Fitz? Because this, to me, going and watching the game, it just felt relentless. And I know that it's, it's been, quote-unquote, relentless all season. But really, to this afternoon at Elysian Stadium, from Solomon Thomas to Max to Yannick, who we're gonna, we could go forever about, to Quentin Jefferson coming back after a rough week, you know, dealing with some personal stuff. I mean, Jalen Hurts never had a moment to get comfortable. They were, I mean, give him credit. I think they only officially sacked him once, but man, they were in his business for an entire 60 minutes. Which is why sacks are a useless stat and we need to start looking at quarterback pressures and quarterback contact. But you're a thousand percent right. I was watching the fourth quarter of this game and watching Yannick particularly. And, and again, you know, I, one of the lucky things for me is I get to talk to a lot of radio stations. And, you know, I, I talked to the radio station in Jacksonville a lot over the last few years. And when Yannick Ngakwe was traded to the Vikings, everybody there that covered him was sad to see him go. Everybody kept saying, this is a lost opportunity for a player that can be great. Now he gets traded. It's a weird fit in Minnesota. It doesn't work. It feels like all of a sudden he's bouncing around and then he ends up with the Raiders becomes a reason why people say that he can't be that great. And I think there was a, a, a false narrative from the get-go. I thought it was going to be one of the most impactful signings of the season for any team. And so far it has been. And, and part of it's speed. You know, we all, always talk about Al Davis and the love of speed. And I think sometimes the national narrative, frankly, makes that too much of a thing around the Raiders. I kept watching this team defense saying, my God, not saying it with that clean of language, the speed on the defensive side of the ball is just otherworldly and it's really put guys in great situations because you're right like I thought what was impressive is that they were upfield and they were in just I mean they were in the middle of Hertz lunchbox from the minute he dropped back but what was also incredible is that Jonathan Abrams played a really disciplined game Perryman again plays a good game Littleton plays a good game like the 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 mid-level of our defense didn't get taken out of position so Jalen Hurts the runner was actually fairly minimized. I thought that was going to be an area they could exploit, that the D-line would go too far upfield, Hurts could exploit it. It just, it never happened because this is not only an incredibly fast, energetic, swarming defense, it's also a very disciplined defense. And that's like, I, I don't know the last time in my lifetime I saw this from a Raiders team. And I'll ask you this, I'll tee you up, because look at you, Mr. Segway. But I, I tweeted during the game, I was like, when was the last time 
that we consistently saw a Raiders defense play with this kind of passion, play with this kind of purpose, and have the results too. Because look, I've seen Raiders defense in my tenure here at Fitz where they play their heart out, but for whatever reason, it just doesn't it doesn't come to fruition, right? And the kind of one response I got back a ton was 1983. And Paul Gutierrez, friend of the program from ESPN, tweeted at me and he said, hey, look up the 1983, off, or excuse me, the 1983 defense. He goes, that is my closest comparison for what I'm seeing right now. And look, from, like you talk about, the secondary to the big fellows up front, the linebacking core, this defense is playing with a purpose. And week after week after week, they are just getting better and better and better. Yeah, and to that end, you know, I would say to Paul, it's fair when you're talking about 1983 to essentially say we've never. You know, this yep. is one of the arguments <laughs> yeah. I constantly Sure, no, that's I mean, fair. Very fair. I mean, and 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 look, I I obviously I like I was alive for that that era. I remember as a kid the late 80s, the Howie Long, Greg Townsend, like there were there were some defensive years there where it felt like they got after the quarterback, but I don't remember it being all layers of the defense the way we're seeing right now. And you know, one of the arguments I I've constantly had with ESPN people at times about teams like the Knicks where they're like oh the Knicks are just good because of their history and, and my, my constant argument to that is if you're a 22 year old kid coming to play in the NBA you don't know anything about that history so like at some point the history is something we're so proud of as fans but we also have to understand there's multiple generations of fans right so I think it's safe to say that there's a huge group of Raiders fans that have never seen a defense play like this and it's statistically no it's not you know a top five defense right now is it a defense that I think can play with anybody yeah, and that's stunning because there are holes. Like, for the second straight week, there were guys open. And, and guys can be – there There are opportunities to be had against the secondary because it's still banged up. But you can't get those opportunities if the minute you drop back, suddenly you're crying for your mom because you know you're about to get hit. Like, that's real the way this defensive line approaches everybody, and they're doing it without blitzing. Like, how many years have we sat here, oh. you and I, tweeting with Raiders fans saying – I get it. You want the team to blitz more, but if you blitz more, the secondary is going to be exposed. Well, this team doesn't have to worry about it because they are just getting after guys. It's team speed wise. I think we might be seeing the fastest version of the Raiders that we've seen in generations. If you include the the offense and the defense together. And the one thing, and look, you, you hit the nail on the head, but the one thing that I think that we haven't mentioned that is helped out, that helps out the defense as a whole, but really helps out the defensive line is how good of tacklers this secondary is. I mean, Brandon Faison, nice to meet you again. I, I, don't, I don't know where you were three weeks ago, but all of a sudden he's your leading tackler. Nate Hobbs is an incredible tackler. Casey Hayward is an incredible tackler in the open field. I mean, when you have guys that can make four-yard catches and make sure they stay four-yard catches, I mean, we have not seen the type of missed tackles that, unfortunately, we've kind of become accustomed to seeing from a Raiders defense in years past. But this secondary, in addition to being good in coverage, and look, you're 100% right, where they are not playing with a full deck right now. Damon Arnett is down. Trayvon Mullen is down. We do not have the best version of this Raiders secondary. And the fact that they were doing that, and I think it was halfway through the third quarter, and Jalen Hurts had 62 passing yards, it's working. Whatever Gus Bradley is doing, it is working right now. And I cannot wait until we get some of those healthy bodies back, and then you can really kind of see the mad, the mad genius himself, Gus, really start putting another layer uh, of intrigue and I don't know what else on this defense. Yeah, I, I think to that point, too, you got to think about, you know, you mentioned Faison, who for the second straight week, we're sitting there like, to, last week was the first date, and, you know, you left, and maybe you're a little cautious because you're like, I know I fall in love too quickly. I don't want that to happen. <laughs> I've, been, I've been hurt so many times. Yeah. Now you've had a second date. Now you're texting your friends, and you're like, I don't know. He's pretty amazing. Like, that's what's happening right now. And I'm constantly, uh, uh, the, the next man up, concept is is an amazing concept it rarely works to this level 
when you have next man up opportunities, though, it's so hard for me not to root for players because facing somebody that had no real home in this league that anybody knew about two weeks ago, and now he is playing himself in to a job. And that's so incredible to watch. And then you think about when they get Mullen back, somebody that I still believe has the opportunity to be the number one corner for this team. Now all of a sudden you're looking at this match because for anyone that, that hasn't looked at the schedule, yes, yeah, so there's a bye week, then there's the Giants, cool. Then there is a mini gauntlet of three straight games that are difficult games to win. I would go I would go four fits. I would go four in a row. I mean, and you start thinking about the offenses that are going to be faced, like there is no joke here. And you've got to look around the AFC and say, okay, this Raiders team's going to have to be able to shut down. Even if we all think Kansas city has forgotten how to football this year. Cool. Uh, the Bengals haven't like the Bengals. Have, I will look what they did to Baltimore today. They embarrassed the Ravens throughout the course of this game. Like there are dynamic offenses about to come back to back to back, which is going to test this coaching staff. It's going to test the depth in this secondary, like Trayvon needs to get back and get healthy. That's going to be amazing when it happens. But whatever we're seeing right now from the guys that have stepped up gives us a lot more encouragement that throughout the course of a game, you can run a rotation much like we do on the defensive line. Yeah, I mean, look, we need Trayvon to come back, right? As well as the secondary is playing, this defense, this team is better when Trayvon Mullen is out there. There is no doubt about that. And to your point, a lot of really good offenses on the on the schedule coming up. But the beauty of this fit, we have a week now to get healthy, to relax. Darren Waller needs some time. Josh Jacobs needs some time. Trayvon, Damon, all these guys. And I say it every year, regardless of when it comes, the bye is always placed perfectly and that is once again the case for your 2021 Las Vegas Raiders and Fitz we've talked about the offense we've talked about the defense but I want to talk about kind of a there's there's a moment in the game that I don't know if it'll really show up on the box score in a big way but the Eagles had cut the lead to 14 and I, I was not nervous at this point I will be fully transparent I was like I have not seen enough from the Eagles to make me nervous about this lead being cut to 14 points but the one thing that I did want to see was I wanted the Raiders to stay aggressive. And how many times have we heard this from fans, from people in the media, from everyone? Look, when the Raiders have a chance to put the game away, put the game away. And Ole, to his credit, did not go in the hole. He did not bury his head and say, hey, we're going to run the ball three times. We're going to punt. We're going to win the time of possession. We're going to win field position. He went out and he got points. And yes, it was just three points, but it was an important field goal. But to me, that was just such a change. We haven't seen that version of the Raiders' mindset before. And it was incredibly refreshing, to be honest with you. Yeah, I was a little worried at first because they had a couple of drives in a row where it felt like they were getting conservative and shutting it down. And then play calling just sort of, I think they realized, all right, we're not going to be able to just impose our will with the running game right now. So let's open it back up. And that's so powerful because... You know, a four-yard pass is as good as a four-yard run. So however the four yards are gained, that's all that matters. I'm with you. I think, you know, over the course of the last several drives, what we saw was a, a willingness to be aggressive but still smart. And that's that's a fine line to 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 find, you know. But you know, anytime you're talking about play action to the running back and then all of a sudden a 29-yard or 20-yard pass to the fullback out of the backfield, like that – that uh, I'm looking at those sorts of play calls saying that is taking advantage of the chess match to go. What we mentioned mm -hmm. earlier, you're winning the chess match. If the, the defense has no idea how to stop what's coming and you're staying aggressive in unique ways, like that, it was part of what the overall thing I think I'm going to be saying every week is control. Like you think about the play calling 
it was controlled at the end. You think about the onside kick attempt at the beginning of the second half. It was great control and awareness by the Raiders as, as special teams units to make sure. And let's not get it twisted. Their special teams coordinator is now a head coach. He's got a lot on his mind, right? You could see where maybe things would start to fall through the cracks. They didn't. There was It was quality control moments from field position to play calling to awareness on the field throughout the course of the entire game. I, I think that's a, a huge part of this win. You know, and we've talked so much about over the past, gosh, 14, 13, 14 days, whatever it is, about how much credit Rich Bisaccia deserves for keep, you know, steadying the ship, for getting this team in the right mindset to go out and play their best version of football. But I think we need to give Greg Olson a ton of credit too, man, because the, the past two games that he has called two Raiders wins, Ole has been masterful. He really has. He has been so kind of in sync with, I think, not only putting Derek in the best position to succeed, but putting this offense in the best position to succeed. And it has been creative. We saw the return of the Mariota package for just one single beautiful, glorious play that made my day fit. But we've seen these wrinkles. And I think Ole deserves all the credit in the world for stepping back, being understanding like, all right, I'm back calling plays. How do I put my guys, the guys that are the best at what they do, how do I put them in positions to succeed? And two weeks in, I mean, he's pushing all the right buttons, him and Gus both. So two things that you or three things out of that. Number one, I think to your point, what we're seeing is great assistant coaching. And that's mm-hmm. such a difficult part of of having a staff is is do you have the right guys running things? And we're seeing some of the answers to that. Two, we're seeing these guys shine partially because they have really talented skill players. One of the things I've said for years is, you know, that a, a buddy of mine said uh, taught me years ago is like, look at your favorite team and ask yourself. How many of these guys would be starters on most playoff caliber football teams? Well, I think we can agree that almost all of these offensive weapons would be high-level starters on any playoff team, right? So now you've got great pieces. You just got to let them cook, which also speaks to the job that as much maligned as he's been in other ways for, for personnel and as much as we look at the drafts, like I'm looking at a really talented Raiders team that's actually playing up to their talent. Like to oversimplify, because everything has been questioned for this organization, like Talent has been acquired through the draft and free agency. That talent is all playing at a very high level from coaches that are coaching at a very high level. And through all of it, you're looking at it and saying, man, all of this is happening while there's a tornado going around that we're just not even, we're, we're too focused on football to have to even worry about. Like I, I think it's, it shows a lot of strength and a lot of talent from a lot of people behind the scenes. Yeah, I mean, organizationally, I think the way that this organization has responded to everything that's happened over the past two weeks, I think, is to be commended. And I'm not just saying that because I'm here in the building and I, I'd like to think that, you know, we play the tiniest part in helping that, that process kind of kick off. But Fitz, we're 5-2. and Oh, two. wait, what, one, one, oh, one real question yep, you hit didn't me. answer yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to get you. What, what do you got? Do you wear like a Mariota shirt under the Raiders shirt? Like just in case there's a Superman moment, you, you can just sort of rip off the shirt and go like full ah, yelling well, in the press box? My, my pal Jesse Merrick actually tweeted at me during the game. He goes, uh, hey, we need to figure out a way to get the Mariota cam on Eddie just so we can see his reaction when he checks in. And I'm all for it. We're going to get our IT people at Allegiant, some of the best in the business. We'll get a little GoPro set up. So when I can see Mariota do his thing for that beautiful 8 to 10 seconds, oh, but to, get, to answer your question, no, I don't, I don't keep the, the, uh, the jersey on underneath. Uh, I like to keep that at home, kind of, you know, backlit in a, uh, in a private room, you know, to make sure that it's, it's properly given the reverence that it deserves. I'm all in for trying to steal a, a, an Oregon duck head uh, off of ESPN campus. Oh, Lee my Corso had God. One somewhere. Oh, I'll my steal, God. Steal, I'll bring it to the press box, and then whenever he's on, uh, and whenever he gets in, you just put the duck head on. Oh, just, don't tease put me. subtitles over it. Don't tease me. And look, <laughs> you and I are both in the content business. That is objectively good content. 
right? No, that, that is a, no that is objectively good content. But we're five and two. Perhaps the most creative way to get to five and two in NFL history. But here we are, off to the bye, sitting at the top of the, the division by percentage points. And if I would have told you, Fitz, 14 days ago that everything kind of would have chilled out, that this team would have risen up, that Derek and Max and Unique and the core leadership of this team would get this group of guys where they needed to be. I, I don't know if I would have believed it, truthfully. I really don't. And that is a huge credit to everyone in that locker room. That is a credit to this entire coaching staff. And here we are, a chance to kind of reset the mechanism and really kind of lock in for the second part of the year. At the end of the day, so many of us as fans just want our teams to win. And that's very true. But I think one of the biggest metrics on where your team is, there's two things you can look at. One, how does Vegas view your team? Because I would say that casinos are rarely wrong. They build those fancy buildings for a reason. So, you know, in the past, when we've seen collapses by the organization, I would argue that most of the time you could look at the remaining schedule and realize that Vegas wasn't going to have them a favorite in a lot of games because they were winning games, but they weren't necessarily good. The other part of it is how, do, how does everybody else feel about knowing that you're next on the schedule? And I, I say that like I know that's always sort of subjective, but I, I Kevin Nagandi, the sports center anchor, is a, a really close friend of mine who's been a great mentor. He's a lifelong diehard Eagles fan. I texted him the other day and said, so, you know, and admittedly, I never would have texted him if I thought the Raiders weren't going to win the game because I don't want to sit around somebody and watch them lose. I felt confident. So I texted Gandhi and I was like, so are we doing like a watch party at your house? Or his response to me was very cleanly, I'll say. He just reminded me that his team's not very good and that my team was going to kick his team's butt. I laugh about that, but you can look at the remainder of the schedule and realize that most of these teams – are not looking at it and saying, oh, okay, I got the Raiders coming up. That's an easy win. Like, that's that's been a real mentality for a long time. Speaking to how well the team is playing, if you're a Bengals fan, and I know a couple of them, they're looking at that game saying, man, that's a real test. Like, if we can beat the Raiders, then we belong in the playoff conversation. Like, that's such a different mindset because this team isn't just winning games. This is a talented team with talented coaches that's playing with control. Like, I, I'll say it again, even through the holding penalties that – the offensive line had early in the season, and we all know the offensive line is going to be the Achilles heel for a while for this team. This team is capable of beating virtually anybody in the NFL, and that's that to me is even more powerful than 5-2. and two. And I'll ask you this, Fitz. Anyone playing better football right now than Derek Carr? No. No, I, I, I feel like I was championing MVC a few weeks ago on ESPN. I kept saying, like, MVC was obvious. Uh, then there was, you know, a, a regrettable week and a half. Like, at the end of the day, the loss to the Chargers, who and everybody's in love with where the Chargers are going for good reason, by the way. The Chargers are a really stinking good football team. And guess what? It is it is perfectly okay for the Chargers to be good, Justin Herbert to be good, and also admit that the Raiders and Derek Carr are good. Like, I, I'm, I'm all in for both of these teams being good and being great matchups. But when you combine that with the Bears' loss and then with everything that came right after that, I think a lot of people lost sight of the fact that part of the reason this team is, in my mind, without a doubt, a playoff team is because Derek Carr is, in my mind, without a doubt, an MVP candidate. And my hot take before the beginning of the year that I got uh, some grief from some fans on was that by the end of the year, uh, we would all be accepting the fact that a massive contract was coming for Derek Carr. I haven't changed my mind on that. I, I, I You're looking at the quarterback of today. You're looking at the quarterback of the future, and the Raiders should feel really good about where this organization is headed. Yeah, agree 100%. And Fitz, on our way out, can we do 30 seconds of shameless plugs? Because I'm pretty sure you and I are going to make some uh, some radio magic this week, are we not? Well, we are going to make, yeah, we're making radio magic on, uh, on Raider Nation. Come on, uh, Raider Nation 920. Yes, sir. You, me, we'll be there. Hanging out. 
Yeah, it'll be great. From noon to two, we'll be there. We'll tweet out the details as we get a little closer. I believe we're going midweek, and it'll be great, man. We'll do. We'll just do this, and we'll do it live, I suppose, instead of uh, the, the pseudo live that we do here. Will there be, you know, I'll bring cake and ice cream for me, and like, but it'll be all like keto and healthy, and then maybe you just bring like chips and salsa or something, yeah. and that way we've got snacks, and then we'll make it a little snack party. Yeah, it'll for be everybody. fantastic. I'll see you on Facetime. It'll be like two pals just hanging out. Oh. Can't wait. That's a, just like usual. That, just that, like that's usual. That's the way it's going to go. Oh, I and cannot it's wait. It's going to be a fun, a much better week with a win than it would have been with a loss. You know, it's so funny. I thought about that, too. I was like, boy, this is going to make Fitz and I's life a lot easier. We have so much to talk about. We have there, there's literally we can go in a million different ways, and I have a feeling that we will do just that. We can't give away all our, our secrets no. right now, Fitz. No. So, shameless plug, make sure you tune in, 920, Eddie and Fitz will be there. So, on that note, for Eddie Pascal, my man Jason Fitz, Ray on the ones and twos, Alexandra out in the control room, making sure everything gets from A to Z, and everyone else at Silver and Black Productions, thank you, thank you, thank you for hanging out with us. Your Raiders are 5-2, and two. we're off to the bye, enjoy the time of solitude, of peace, of reflection, or whatever you're going to do next Sunday, and we will see you guys in two weeks for our usual episode of the fifth quarter. Thank you for listening to The Fifth Quarter, presented by Twitch. Make sure to download the Raiders mobile app, and we'll see you next week.